Good morning. Welcome to LSC Livingstone Church. My name is Jeffrey, uh, one of the pastors here. And I'm so excited this morning as we get to gather. Today I'm excited because we get to start the first part of our sermon series based on the symbolisms of the Christmas wreath. As Curtis and Colleen lit the candle, today we started off with hope. This is a tradition in the Christmas season here in the churches. We place a wreath with purple, white, and pink candles near the represent each week during the Advent weeks. We light a candle each week during the Advent season. We'll be looking at each of the ideas behind these candles as we build towards the celebration of our coming Lord. These candles stand for hope, joy, peace, and love. Today, we will look at the candle of hope and how it relates to the coming of our Savior. Let me pray. Oh, Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that you stepped down out of your, off your throne to enter in a world of madness. And Lord, you did it because you, because you love us to the point of giving up your crown, coming in as man. We thank you, Lord, as we get to celebrate in that, that you came for each and every one of us. You call us sons and daughters. Be with us this morning, Lord, as we just get to share in your word, in your message. We ask all these humbly in your son's amazing name. Amen. So uh, I get the honor of speaking on hope today. And so to get started, I kind of, as I was preparing, I was, I was looking at what are the definitions of hope? And uh, there's three definitions in the Webster's Dictionary that kind of stood out to me. To cherish a desire with anticipation to want something to happen or be true. The next one is to desire that with expectations of obtainment or fulfillment. And last, to expect with confidence. And so as I was thinking of the Webster's Dictionary, I asked myself personally, I was sitting in my office, and I was like, what would it mean for a Christian to have hope, a believer to have hope? And I honestly think, our definition for hope is far superior than the world's because we can look at scripture. We got a God, Hebrews 6, 18, and Numbers 23, 19 that does not lie. What he says, he does. Hebrews 11, 1, it is hope that is like faith. This thought of the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen, that's where we get to find and rely on our hope. But let's be completely honest. We can come into this holiday season and start Advent this week, and someone or people might come into it not feeling hopeful. Maybe this is the first season without a loved one. Maybe this is the first season of a world entering divorce. Maybe this is the first season, this first Christmas season where you're jobless. And we think of these, this hope, like how can I find hope, man? I'm going through this, this stuff, this junk, this brokenness. And as I got to prepare and, and look over these, 
four events, hope, joy, peace, and love for Advent over the four weeks, and I got to choose which one I wanted. The one I popped out to me was hope. Because there's moments where I can't see it. There's moments I just don't believe in it. But it doesn't stop me from serving. It doesn't stop me from pursuing. It just shows at that time my weakness. And so as we get to look at hope this, this morning, we're going to look at it through the eyes of Zachariah and Elizabeth. We're going to find hope through what they have went through. We are here today to prepare ourselves for the Christmas season. This is the same reason for our gospel message today. At the beginning of each of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is a mention of the activities leading up to the birth of Jesus. As we look at the gospel message this morning, we'll be looking at it through the book of Luke. Starting off at Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17, it reads, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Ajib. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour, at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing in the right side, troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon afraid. Uh, fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, "Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son." And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will re rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the, his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearers of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So as I started looking at this, I started thinking of Zechariah. Here you have this faithful priest who had been bestowed the honor of representing the entire nation of Israel in the temple. He was granted this honor and responsibility of burning the incense in the morning and the evening as a form of worship to God in front of the most holy place of the temple. This was not an ordinary honor. Only priests could do this service, and then usually only once in their lifetimes. This was an honor that surely he relished in. But let's pause. You have this man, faithful, God-fearing, following the commandments, doing everything asked of him, and his statue, his, his status in that community, that's Zechariah the priest. Him and Elizabeth are faithful. 
But there is one thing missing. No child known to pass on a father's wants and desires to teach a son or a daughter the ways of the Lord. You got to think about it. They submitted to the will of God and obeyed the word of God, and they did it in the sight of God. That is to exalt the Lord alone rather than to make a good showing before men. That's how they lived their life. They even lived it, as I was doing the background to this, they even lived it in how they lived, like in their homes. They didn't live where the priests lived. They lived out in a small village. They didn't care about the status that went with the priesthood. They lived in some small, obscure village in a hilly region south of Jerusalem, rather than as the other priests in the elite section of the city. Their heart was in want of a relationship with God. They cared more about what God thought of them than what men thought. And as I think and I, I think that, and I sit there, I'm like, man, sure they're worthy of a child or being parents or that, that, that desire. I mean, the whole purpose of us being placed on this earth and creation was to multiply and flourish. They've done everything asked of them. I kind of think of they were happy, though. They just wanted to walk and grow in the Lord rather than impress men. Even though they served God with their heart and spirit, there must have been a stigma placed on them from their community, though. Even the thought of some secret sin in their life. Usually back in the days, that barrenness, it was some kind of a sin, some kind of a block. Think about it. There must be some secret sin in that life would keep them from having children. Back in those days, having a child would, would build your status in a society. They face a hopeless situation. The Bible speaks of them of being barren, also advanced in years. Advanced in years would have probably meant around 60. So the thought of having a child at that age, it's gone. It's out. It's a wrap. It's done. There's no hope for that. The crazy thing, even in the midst of never having a, ch- having a child, it did not stop them from serving. But the moment would become special in more than one way. As Zechariah was going about his priestly duties, the angel Gabriel appeared above the altar of incense. The appearance of the angel was not a normal occurrence in any respect. But it was no incident that the angel spoke in front of Zechariah. He had come to give him hope. The crazy thing is we can sit here and think, oh, it's hope of a child. Or it's hope of, we know in scripture it says they're going to bless him with a child. And we can stop and say, hey, he got his kid and that's what they were praying and hoping for. But I love how scripture just... shares God's wants and needs. The prayers of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were answered, not only by the blessing of a child, but the message sent from God himself. A newfound hope must have come upon Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they looked forward to their infant son's arrival. 
the son who would be placed in their care to be the forerunner to Jesus Christ. Now, you got to stop and think. No kid. They're elderly. And your child has a purpose? It's not going to just be no average kid. The son who he placed in their care is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Their son was sent to this earth with the sole position to speak and lead the way for Christ, the true Savior. That's who John was going to be speaking of. This moment was more than an important development in the lives of two future parents. Yeah, think about it. These soon-to-be parents in care of the child who's going to lead the way for Christ Jesus. I mean, he was more than just a regular child. Think of their status now in town. Think about it. Zachariah, my kid, he's getting ready for the Savior. Like, think about it. Like, if I was a dad and, and, and Gabriel came to me, I'm like, bro, hey, look at him, look at him right there. That's John getting ready for the Savior. Like, I would be pumping it. I would be like high-fiving and hysterical. I would be like shouting from the hilltops. I wouldn't want to hide this at all. I'm, praise God and hallelujah. And no one says amen. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Woo. Think about it. The predecessor to the coming Messiah. That's John. That's your son. The crazy thing, though, like even the scriptures of the old, Isaiah, as Lizzie read today, Isaiah talked about this. So God, for, I mean, that's how good our God is. He gave us a promise in Isaiah. Boom, you're going to have a child who's going to come before the Lord. He's going to prepare the way. You guys should be on the lookout. Oh, yeah, Zacharias, the priest, he was placed in a position of power, and he's like, but we're old. As we get ready to read, as we get ready to enter into this next verse here, As we get to start talking at verse 18, before I get there, though, I just want to share a couple things. It wasn't just Isaiah. It was Malachi talked about it. Mark in the gospel talked about it. In, in, in uh, Mark, it goes, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, so using scripture to represent scripture and hold it true, Mark is coming from Isaiah. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face. Zacharias, the priest, he should have known the old scripture. He should have recognized, like, dude, Gabriel's saying John is going to be the one. Wait a minute. Okay, it makes sense. Connecting the dots. I love it. This is, I don't know, like, this is amazing stuff I got to learn about. But I look at Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare, he will prepare Prepare the way before me, and the Lord who seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom delight, behold, is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 4, 5. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Just as Elijah preceded Elsha in the Old Testament times, a messenger was to precede the Savior's coming. So they used uh, the, the reference of Elijah coming at before, and it's the same as John coming before the Messiah. There's a downfall here, though. 
Remember that secret sin that I mentioned? Maybe the town thinks there's some kind of a secret sin. There's something that, man, these guys are so perfect. There's something. There's something hidden here. And this is how it comes out. If you read with me, Luke 1, verse 18 through 23. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advancing years. Oh, come on. You just got slapped in the face. Like, you just talking about your wife like that? Come on. If I would have said that to Lizzie, like, oh, she's advancing age. I'm sleeping on the couch. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. I just like, come on, man, like, Zechariah, you're failing right now. And behold, you will be silent and humble to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, and the people were waiting for Zechariah. So they were still outside. They're like, what is taking so long? Like, who's going in to get him? Hey, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. And when his time to service was end, he went to his home. So you got to think about this. He's walking in the door to Elizabeth. He cannot speak. The Gabriel, Gabriel shut him down. He's like, dude, I stand in the presence of the Lord, and I'm standing in your face, and you're not trusting what God said. Don't you know the promises? Of Isaac and Samson and Samuel, their moms were barren and they got children. You're the priest. Where's your heart? Like Peter on on the boat. Come to me. Jesus, if you say come, I'll go. And he steps out. He's on that water. He's like, uh. And then that moment of doubt, that moment of just not believing, not keeping his eyes on God. And he sinks. But immediately, it says in the scripture, immediately, Jesus reached down and pulled Peter out. Here it is. Even a priest, even a man of the faith, with that moment of doubt. Earlier on, it said he's him and his wife, him and his, that means him and his house, served the Lord well, listened and followed and were obedient to the commandments. But just for a moment, for a moment, that heart, that heart just lacked for that split second. How often do we do that? I remember as a young man trying to make ends meet, you get your paycheck and you look at it like, ooh, yeah, this is going to be a tough one. Instead of saying, God, thank you so much for what you've given me. How can you make this work? Or when I, when I, I remember proposing to, to Lizzie, and I was a new believer too, man. I was, I was young, dumb, and stupid. <laughs> and then Jesus just grabbed me and got a hold of my heart. And I remember the first time I got to have a conversation with Lizzie. And we were at a camping, and we were talking and chatting. And I was like, God, she's amazing. Like, I'm out. She's way out of my league. And I remember I kept praying for God, like, God, 
I went for a year. I went for a year of on dates with just me and Jesus. It was a full year of just me and Jesus. I mean, I would go to movies. I'd buy two tickets. I'd go out to dinner. I remember I'd go, I went to the fish hopper, and I sat and I said for two, and it was just me and Jesus because, man, my life prior was so broken, was so disgusting, was so ugly. I needed a full year of understanding who Jesus was in the midst of all of my brokenness and my junk. And I remember after this year of being single and celibate and not just, I mean, I had to give up. Trust me, my sin world, when he says secret sin, I was like, ooh, stop that, okay? Because it was disgusting. And I remember a year and a couple months, and I'm sitting and talking with Lizzie. We're at the aquarium one, one camp in night. And I remember I walked away from that conversation. And you got to understand, I was, a, I, was a, I, was, I was so fresh in my faith. And I just, but I remember God saying, and I got something for you that's going to be amazing. Because I put so much doubt in myself. I put so much like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be loved. I'm not worthy to, to be accepted in, as, as I am. Like that was my, like my pocket of hopelessness, my little pocket of like, uh, that was me. Like, I'm not worthy of this love. And I remember though, God saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Just trust in me. And I remember a few months kept going by, and a few months kept going by, and I remember, I was like, hey, you want to go on a little date? You know, just me and you, just, you know, like, something. She's like, of course. Got it all set, the date, and then I canceled. <laughs> so I was still struggling with, like, dude, she really wouldn't want to go on a date with me. Like, there's no way Miss Buell wants to go on a date with Jeffrey. Luckily, luckily, I kept pursuing, and but look with that moment of hopelessness that we put on ourselves. I don't know what it is for you guys. I don't know. But I know for me, it's, it's, it's feeling like I'm good enough. I mean, I beat myself up all the time over that. Instead of sitting here saying, God's enough, I sit here and say, man, I'm not good enough. And all I'm doing, all I'm doing is I'm making myself the idol. I'm saying I have to do it. I have to be in control. I have to be in charge. It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. Instead of saying here, God, like, man, I need you because I can't do this. For that moment, for that moment, moment, Zachariah was doubting the message sent from the most holy place, the heavens, where Gabriel was in the face of God. And, and, and what we see out of it is Zacharias was able to, unable to speak. So that was really a sign by God. Gabriel shut that down. Boom, done. Can't speak. As I started thinking about hope, I started thinking about hope is what Christianity is based on at the end of the day. Hope for the eternal life with Jesus. I was asked a question, would I want to go to heaven if I, didn't, if I wasn't in the presence of Jesus? And I said, no. I'd rather be in hell without Jesus. There's no reason I'd want to go to heaven if I couldn't be in the face of my Savior who loved me right where I was at. That's hope. God made a promise to Zechariah to bring a messenger, and it was going to be his son. And he, he just, he, for that moment... The coolest thing is hope is what happens before the fulfillment of God's promise. 
and his track record of fulfilling promises is perfect. This morning, we can continue to hope in our faith in Jesus Christ that we will be saved and bask in his glory. But we see Zechariah, his hopeless wife also. This is a part that, as I started looking at Elizabeth, no, I didn't pick this message, this part of the chapter, just because my wife's name is Elizabeth. I picked it because I felt God leading me here, even though I thought it was like, oh, my goodness. But we'll look at verse 24 through 25. Before I read it, though, I want you guys to realize she's from the line of Aaron. Think about that. Who was Aaron? We just spent a whole lot, 17 years on Exodus. <laughs> Scott's not here. I could joke about that. But we just learned about Exodus. This dude Aaron was like this amazing man who when Moses was disobedient and needed a helper, God loved him so much and said, all right, even though you could do it with me, I'll give you someone to be your mouthpiece. He was a leader. That's the line of which Elizabeth came from. Verse 24. Think about it, this obedient wife, loving her, her husband, leading his leading, loving his leading. But here she is. After these days, his wife, oh, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Man. Mom's out there. Grandmom's out there. Someone tells you your kid's going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an astronaut. What you going to do? Come on, what you going to do? Share it, right? You're going to be like, hey, hey, look, look, look. My little baby, doctor. You're going to get the degree? PhD. Faithful woman. Honest woman. Following the commandments. Following her husband, his leading. Instead of sitting here saying, Lord has blessed my house, Lord has opened up so many things, the Lord has given me, given me, given me, I'm going to go hide it. Mm. Even Elizabeth had moments of hiding her hope. Think about it. Elizabeth, as a descendant of Aaron, was selected by God to be the mother of the great prophet who would prepare the way for Jesus Christ. Ooh. Mm-mm-mm. What did she do? She went off and hid it. You got to think about it as a mom. The mothers of, the, of leaders in the Bible are often noted for their influence in rearing and teaching of their sons. An example you see in Proverbs 31.1, the words of the king Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. We also see it in Timothy talking about his grandmother and his mother were, were, were the ones that were teaching him and leading him. And here it is, Elizabeth, hiding, hiding what God has done for five months. For five months, she's not going to go brag about her kid. More importantly, she ain't going to go brag about Jesus. She ain't going to say, look what God has done. I'm, in, I'm of age. I'm advanced years. I'm barren. I mean, I bet you she went to a ton of doctors trying to figure out what's wrong. We still can't have kids. Their 30s hit, no kids. 40s hit, no kids. 50 hit, no kids. 
60, uh, we're not even worried about that anymore. We're just going to serve the Lord. And now you have an opportunity to have something placed at your feet, and you're going to hide it? I'll be completely honest. When I came to faith, the one thing I could not do at age 30, didn't grow up in the church, didn't care about Jesus, could have cared less about God, but at age 30, when God called me home, when he said, son, you are mine, and I'm not letting you go, the first thing I had to do was go tell somebody. How often do we go tell somebody? How often do we go and share what God has done? How often do we talk to our neighbors and say, hey, I'm going to tell you about this dude named Jesus. He is amazing and awesome. I don't know a whole lot about a theology. What I do know is I was this and now I'm this, and he loved me right when I was here, and look at me now. Man, she could have used this to testify for our whole community. He led, the husband led Israel in that moment of the intercessor of burning them incense. He led them. And the wife is supposed to be that, also that rock. She's supposed to be like, ah, I'm just like my husband who leads me. But we see the husband failed, and what, what's that mean for the household then? That means the wife failed. Husbands, I'm not putting you on front street, but when we don't lead our home, this is what happens. Our wives will hide their faith around. They'll hide it. They'll stuff it down. They won't want to share it. They won't want to talk about it. Ooh, man. This is the craziest thing, though. This is God. This is, this is all glory to God. So not only did God have mercy on Elizabeth by still granting her child, even after the five months, her, after the, uh, her, hide, her child was still going to have a role in his work. I just, I just think about how we, we hide our faith, how we hide what God has done to us. You got to think about it. How can this not be more hope-filled when a, a father and a, and, a, and a mother are basically spoken to by God's voice of sitting here saying, your son is going to be the front runner for Jesus Christ. There's no PhD, no, no doctor, no lawyer with a better job than that. Think about it. He's going to get to share with the people of who Jesus is. Zachariah had doubt. Elizabeth hid it. The craziest thing, though, as I was thinking, I was, what could that miracle have done for her community? How could she have been a part of a spark? It goes back to Luke 1, 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? These parents had an opportunity to show that and prove it. This is, this, is, this is how amazing our God is. In verse, 20, in verse 39, Luke chapter 1, verse 39, it's on page 856 if it's in your pew Bibles. This is our God redeeming them, though. 
In those days, Mary arose and went with, with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. This is the Mary of Jesus' mom. Gosh. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed, exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your, your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. It was at that very moment what Gabriel had promised to Zechariah came to fruition for Elizabeth, and at that very moment, Elizabeth understood. I bet you in her heart of heart, I can't speak for her because I don't know her and it doesn't say in scripture, but I'm going to be honest. You hide it for five months, something that the God has done for you, through you, and you hid it for five months at that very moment. What did I do? How could I have hidden this? But it says she was filled at that moment with the Holy Spirit. John knew his role. It says John in the womb was going crazy, going, just throwing a party. Even Zechariah, in verse 63, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. They all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosened and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judah. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. That moment, Zechariah being able to speak again. As he came out of that temple, they knew it was a moment of the Lord intervening when he became deaf or, or mute. He couldn't speak. When he was told that your son is going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. I want to finish you guys off with one last piece. As I look at why did they find hope? What was their true hope? It was that God still showed mercy and grace. God still loved them right where they were at. Even in their, their moment of hopelessness, of their moment of doubt. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become leveled ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. I was out of verse, or chapter 3 of John the Baptist preparing the way. Preparing the way for our Savior. And this season, that's who we got to look to. In our moments of doubt, our moments of confusion, maybe our moments of not understanding why we're going through what we're going through. 
just as these two parents got to see what God could do. They were still used. They were still able to go out and share. So as I leave you guys this morning, I challenge you with this. Let's not be like Elizabeth and Zachariah. Let's be willing to show and share our faith, especially this season, more than any. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much of just how good you are and how amazing life is with you. Bless us this morning, Lord. I thank you in your son's amazing name. Amen.